there's significance in conversations. And, and um, I was thinking about a series that we did in youth back in September because after tonight's service, we have youth after hours. So we're inviting all our young people to, to stay with us, hang out with us for a wee while. Um, we'll, we'll eat some things that are bad for us. We're going to eat some Chinese afterward as well. So we're inviting the, the youth to come and hang out with us after the service. Sorry, you adults, you just have to buy your own Chinese tonight. Sorry about that. Maybe somebody will bless you on the way out of church. There's your 20 quid. Way to the bamboo or wherever it is you go. But Yeah, and I was thinking about um, a series that we did with our, our young people at the start of the year, back in, back in September. Um, we started this series called And Everything Changed. And we looked at significant moments in the Bible. Um, si- significant moments were, were everything changed for the, the people involved. And we looked at this guy, um, Nicodemus, who we're going to look at together tonight. And I thought that this would be an encouragement for us tonight, um, as it was in September. And this conversation that we're going to look at, um, I just, I, I love this, I love this this conversation because it's it's amazing that that this guy as you'll see he he answers it with a few questions and then Christ's response would change the world conversations that changed the world so although their their conversation would change Nicodemus's life it would change his world also the words that Jesus said to him would change the entire world there they're words that we still have recorded we we even spoke some of them this morning and we're going to speak them tonight this is a conversation that changed the world and as I said there's significance in conversations it's good to have conversations it's good to have questions and maybe tonight you have questions just like this guy that we're going to look at maybe you have questions and i encourage you bring them to christ and see what he does with them bring them to him and see what he does with your questions because because he invites question and you'll notice this if if you read about jesus and his ministry on earth There's loads and loads of questions asked of him, and he gives lots of different, various answers. But but what's clear is the question is invited. This, this, This word that we have from God, it invites your questions, and and it, it can stand up to your questions, and, and it has done for thousands of years. The, the text that we are going to read, it has stood up to questions and scrutiny, and it invites them. And as, as was said this morning in our service, that's, that's part of the reason that, that it differs from, from other religious texts, from, from, other, from other words. Because it invites question, it doesn't just demand, but it invites, and there's an invitation for you tonight, and, and, and this man in Christ, they have a conversation, and we're going to read a few words from that, we'll work our way through the story, but I just want to begin with a couple of verses. At the beginning of John chapter 3, it says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. 
Let's pray as we begin to study God's word together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that tonight we are invited, that, that you are open to, to hearing from us. And God, I pray that tonight would we not just speak, but would we listen? God, would, would we wait for a response from you? Would we come to you and would we wait to hear from you? God, I thank you that through your word that you speak today, I thank you for your Holy Spirit within those who have put their trust in you. And God, I just pray tonight that those who have not invited you into their lives, yet that tonight, that their lives would change forever. Thank you that your word has the impact to change the world. In your son's holy and precious name, we give you praise. Amen. Amen. Church, John chapter 3, we read about this guy named Nicodemus, and he only appears in the book of John. Straight away from these verses, we learn a few things about him, some simple, some maybe not so simple. We learn that he's a man. It tells us that he is from the Pharisees, and it tells us that he is a ruler of the Jews. And straight away, maybe we'll ask the question, well, we know what a man is, we, we know what a ruler is, but what is a Pharisee? And, and at the, in its simplest explanation, in its simplest explanation, Pharisees were law lovers. They were religious teachers. They were in charge of big decisions at the time that this was written, which would become important later in Nicodemus' story. It tells us that he is a Pharisee. But yeah, they were religious teachers. But the reason I say that they were law lovers is because they were what we would describe as legalistic. They they were really, really moral people. They, they loved their moral code. They loved the code of conduct. They, they loved rules and regulations. There were 600 laws that they expected to be kept. And a Pharisee is thought of today as, as a bit of a criticism today. It's, it's not something that's, that's necessarily thought very well of, but, but the Pharisees then, they were honored for their commitment. They were committed to the cause. They were, they were committed to the, the religious affairs of the day. They, they were highly thought of. They were scholars of the law. They were well-educated, and they knew about the religion in which they were teaching, in which they wanted people to live and partake in. But where they fell short, was that Pharisees went beyond God's word. Well, they may have fell short in a few areas, but an area that we want to talk about tonight, where they fell short was they went beyond God's word. They, they trusted word of mouth and they trusted tradition, and they started to treat that like gospel. This happens today, too, when, when things are passed down, even, even in the church and outside of the church, we, we get these, these ideas that are passed down, and everybody just thinks of them as, as truth, as, as gospel, as ways to be followed, as God's word, and, and some things just go beyond 
God's word or they're outside of them. And these guys, they trusted traditions. A tradition had been passed down and, and they thought, happy days, a new, a new law to follow, a new way to keep us all in line. That was the way these guys liked to live. They liked to live by the rules and by the laws. They, they treated this, this word of mouth as though it was fundamental and they expected everybody else to do the same. So, so if they told you to do something, they, they believed that it was true and they fully expected you to do it. They fully expected those who would follow this religion, who would live in their day, that they, that they would do everything that was told of them to do. So this is why we view it as a bit of a negative today. They, they remind us of, of people that, that, put, that put rules and laws in our lives that aren't actually there. It's like, it's like the stuffy Christian that, that comes to church and thinks that their way is the way that church should be. And it actually goes beyond that in that there's, there's churches that, that won't let you through the door to, um, based on what, what you're wearing. You can't take communion unless you have written consent. The, these things go on. These things happen. And, and people treat their, their rules and their regulations as law. I heard a pastor once say that one of the greatest procedures that the church needs to undergo is a pharisectomy. So that's removing the Pharisee from our lives. That's removing the Pharisee from within us. And, and what that just, all that means is that's, that's a little lighthearted. But what it means is simply that we just follow God's word that we trust in it, that we don't try and add to it, that we, that we don't think that, that what we think, that, that, that our opinions, that they are gospel, that they are truth. We want to rely on the truth of God's word. That's what we want to rely on. His ways are higher than our ways, and his truth is the only truth. So where does this guy Nicodemus fall under all of this? Because he comes and he has this conversation with Christ. And he wasn't just a Pharisee. He, he, he had some more status as well. He was one of the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, the religious court of the day. So he would have been really influential. And in, in not just in church, in, in politics, in, in wealth, in business. This, this guy would have been a really, really influential person. One of the, the studies that I was doing came across, it said that Nicodemus was the equivalent of a modern politician, celebrity preacher, and wealthy businessman all rolled into one. That's, that's the status that this guy held. So you, you think of those different areas, like a, a modern politician. So in politics, this guy has position in in, in the church, he's thought of as this high celebrity preacher. In business, he is wealthy and successful. These are the things that, that we know about his life. And he himself would have been addressed as rabbi, most likely. Which is interesting because it's what he calls Jesus in verse 2. So, we, we know a lot about him. 
And, and what we know about him doesn't really lead to the conversation that he would have. And what I mean by that is it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that he would come to, to at the time, what, what's probably considered by a lot of these law keepers, what's probably considered by the religious scholars of the day, those with positions, why would he come to this religious rebel, so to speak? Why, why would he come to Christ? That, that in itself doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I want to remind us that despite our preconceived notions, people can still surprise us. Church, people are still people. And sometimes people surprise us. And, and you think they're going to go one way and they go another. And you think that they're not going to be open to Christ. And they're not going to be open to, to church even. Or you think that there's, there's these people in your lives and you think that, that they're not going to be open to this teaching. And then we put it in the context of church and you think there's no way that they are going to come here, that they're going to, or even if they do, there's no way they're going to enjoy it. They're going to come away talking about it and, and not in a good way. And, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna say all of these things. But sometimes people surprise us. Because people are still people and people are curious and people are in need. And and maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't limit the people that we come into contact with or the people that we think we know. The people that, that we think we, we know what they're all about and we think no way. We think no way, no way are they having this. But this is, this is the example. This is, this is somebody who on paper He's not having this. No way. No way is he having this. He's an example here, again, that not all Pharisees were hard-hearted or unreachable. He calls Jesus rabbi. He recognizes that he is from God. Five chapters later, in John 7, he'll go on to defend Jesus in front of the other Pharisees. And then later in John chapter 19, he, don he donates materials for his burial. So, so what happens? Why does he start to do what others would see as unthinkable for him to do? Why does he start to defend Jesus and show respect even in his death? These things don't, don't necessarily line up. So, so what happens? Well, because, church, he asked questions. He sought Christ out and he asked him questions. I want to remind us of verse 2. We read together, this man came to him at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So it tells us there that he came at night. And it doesn't, it doesn't tell us why. So we could, maybe, we could maybe think of a few reasons why that he comes at night. Maybe he, he didn't want to be seen 
and, and that would make sense. Maybe he was afraid that he would be seen asking questions of Jesus and, and think of how that would be perceived by other people. He, he doesn't want to be seen coming to Jesus or maybe he just knew that this is when he could get a conversation outside of the crowd, that this is when he could get a conversation out of Jesus. That's when he could get him without a crowd of people around him because these are both people for, for different reasons that held influence. It would have been hard for them to get this conversation and yet not impossible. So let's think of these things. Let's think of these things. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen to be doing this because he has a reputation. He doesn't want to lose it. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't want to be seen to be talking to Jesus. And, and that makes sense. What also makes sense is that maybe he just wants to get him on his own. That, that makes sense too, that he doesn't want to be disrupted, that he has his questions and he wants to ask them. These things both make sense. They make sense for him and they make sense in our context, context today too. That some people, they just, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot for them to come. They, they might hold a bit of a reputation. They're in certain circles. And, and it's just going to take a lot for them to be there. Maybe it's the crowds that puts them off. Some, some people struggle with that. To, to be in a number and, and to be in a crowd. And, and it's not really their thing. Maybe they need to come in the quietness. Can I encourage those who are maybe somewhere in the middle of these things or maybe you're in one of these camps, you've landed in one of them, come to Christ undercover or come to Christ in a crowd, but just come to him. Just come to him with your, with your questions. Approach him and know that, that he wants you to come to him. Whatever that may look like, Whatever context that looks like, the important thing here is that Nicodemus, he sought Jesus out. Jesus had performed signs that caught his eye, and so he seeks him out. And there's nothing wrong with that as well. You know, he, he saw signs, and it tells us there in the passage that he sees signs and he he. He reaches out then, he, he goes to Jesus because he sees that something's happening. Something's going on and, and I need to know what it is. I need to be a part of it. There's the curiosity again that, that people have. That, that, that the individual, that the human has. There's, there's something going on and I need to see what it is. And, and what that does sometimes is it gets people through the door. You know, it, it gets them to the conversation. And this is what happens here. Jesus has performed signs that's caught the eyes of Nicodemus, and so he seeks him out. And again, can I remind you, for those who haven't done this, to seek him out. But he calls Jesus Rabbi. He calls him rabbi. He calls him teacher. Whoa. 
You're meant to be the teacher. Nicodemus is meant to be the teacher. He's the one that people are coming to. Why are you going to somebody else and, and asking them and, and addressing them as, as teacher, as rabbi? What are you asking Jesus for that you don't already know? But even in the, the social status as well, when we think of it, because we think of, of Nicodemus, and, and a lot of this doesn't make sense, but we even think of the social status, and you have a rich man asking a poor man and, and addressing him as a teacher and a rabbi. This, this is madness. This, this, this context in, in which this conversation is happening, it, it is madness. Here we have somebody who has it, who has it all, who has this status that, that he could lose and still coming because questions need to be asked. It's so important that, that we come to Jesus, that we do not leave these questions unanswered. And I'm going to read further into to this passage. We'll see a few more interesting interactions between these two. Jesus replied to him, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. That you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but don't you know where it comes from or where it is going? So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. And this all leads toward a conclusion that Nicodemus himself was a ruler he had this status and this authority and, and people might have looked to him, but he still needed a reason. He still needed to know. He still needed answers and he himself wasn't beyond coming to Christ. Nicodemus had status, saying he, he was a ruler. That's not taken lightly. He had money. He had authority. He, he even had knowledge. So this isn't an, an uneducated man with no idea coming. This is a scholar. It's somebody who knows. And he still comes and he still asks the question. And, and in a worldly sense, he would have had basically everything that he could have wanted. But he still asks this question, how can these things be? And Jesus is teaching him that, that he must be born again. He's teaching him biblical things. And, and Nicodemus, he's, he's teaching him biblical things. And, and this biblical teacher still continues to go, how can these things be? What do you mean that I have to be born of the Spirit? I've never been taught this. I, I don't know this way that you're talking about. Jesus actually says to him after this, you're a teacher. You're supposed to know these things. Why, why are you asking me? But he recognizes that there's something about Jesus and, and something needs asked of him. There's something about him. And, and we need to know what it is. 
Do you know that? Do you recognize that there is something here? Do you know that there's something here? It's, it's not just um, attending a meeting and, and enjoying the, the really good welcome. And you get tea and coffee on the way in, and that's, that's nice. And you hear the singers and, and the musicians, and, and that's all really good. That's, that's, not what, that's not what we're used to. We don't get that everywhere. But, but it's more, it's more than that. It's more than a, than a good presentation. It's, it's more than, than a warm welcome. And, and I'm not undermining these things in any way. These things are important. They're, they're, they're essential in what we do. But it just, it goes beyond that. I hope you, I hope you know that, that it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just coming and filling a seat and having a good time. There's, there's questions that you need to ask. You need to approach Christ even, even when you think you, you know. Even, even in the, the midst of, of your circles and, and your status and, and wherever in life you find yourself, you need to come and, and know that this is a need. It's a need of humanity. We'll get, we'll get on to that. Christ recognizes that as well. So he addresses Nicodemus, but, but this conversation, it does change the world. But there is a need of humanity. And yet, also, sometimes we can remove ourselves from that. Sometimes we can remove ourselves from, from a need of the world. This is, this is something that you need, that you need to know. There's truth that you need to know. Come to God, pray, ask of him. See what he tells you through his word and through worship. Because for Nicodemus, this changed this man's life. This, this interaction that he has. He, we, we see him a few more times, as I said, in John. And he does things that that don't line up with the, the Nicodemus that he should have been before. The next time that we see him is in John 7, and he's, he's in his official capacity. Whatever that, whatever that might have looked like, he's there in the religious court. He's part of the Sanhedrin, and they're considering, what do we do with this man, Jesus? Religious rebel who's, who's teaching things that, that, that we haven't heard, who's going away that's different than the way that not only we know, but that we're teaching other people as well. What are we going to do with this man? And Nicodemus says, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing? And learning what he does. He, he is sticking up for Christ in the authority that he has been given. In, in a context that, that, would have been, that would have been scary. That, that would not have made sense. But he stands up for what's right. Give him a hearing. Learn what he does. This is what Nicodemus invites the Sanhedrin to. This is, what the, this is what God's word would invite you to do tonight. Learn what he does. Know what he's about. 
hear what he has to say. Know that, that this is a person that we are talking about. God in flesh. Jesus Christ. The final mention of Nicodemus in John is in John 19. Jesus is crucified. He's hung on a cross. He dies. We find Nicodemus assisting in his burial. It tells us that he brings 75 pounds of spices in order to prepare the body for burial. He's assisting in wrapping the body. He's, he's helping to place it in the tomb. And these things are all important. The, the amount of spices that, that, that he brings, it tells us again that this is a rich man who, who has, in a worldly sense, he has everything that he needs. But maybe here it shows us that he has also a great respect for Jesus. He hears him out. He hears what he has to say. He asks Jesus the question, and Jesus tells him the single greatest message that the world has ever known, the most famous verse ever to be penned. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? What is it that we need to know? What have you come to say? Christ says just a few verses later, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A conversation that changed the world because God loved the world. He loved the world and so it, it changes the world, but also his word. It is for humanity. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish. So the conversation, it's, there's an invitation to it. You're invited to it. You're invited to have this conversation but but know what is on the line here know that you need to fall to the right side of it and the thing is that's between you and God you can come and you can do the right things and you can say the right things from from our point of view um from from the church's point of view or the other christian's point of view you can you can say the right things you can look like look like things are going well but it says everyone who believes in him there has to be a genuine belief and, and that, that doesn't come from, from just playing the part. God sees your heart. He, he sees where you are. He sees the individual. He, he encourages you to come to him. And I hope that you believe. I hope that you know that this is a real conversation that had a real impact and I hope that you know that the conversation that you can have with Christ can too have a real impact. In the final verses of this passage that we look at, verses 16 to 21, it summarizes the entire 
gospel, the whole message that we preach, it's, it, it's summarized here that God loved man enough to send his son to save him. Those who reject Jesus are condemned. But God loved man enough that he would send his son to save them. We heard that message this morning as well. That God loves us. That God loves you. And, and it's, it's in a way that is beyond beyond in entire comprehension and yet it's here in words for us to understand jesus came to earth he lived a perfect life he died on the cross for for our sin for how we fall short of god he died on the cross he was buried in a tomb and he rose again from the dead and and in that Everything that he said about himself and about God and about you is true. It is absolute truth. And he invites you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved and know that you are in need of salvation. So come to Christ and, and no matter what that looks like for you, just come to him. Allow me to pray, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've blessed us with it. Thank you for, for all that this means for us today. God, that, that now, in this time, that, that we have a conversation that needs to be had. That, that in this season in our lives, that we have a decision to make. And the reason for that is what we have read today. That God gave his one and only son and that he gave him to the point of death. And he rose from the dead. And in doing that, he leaves us with the invitation to join him in resurrection to have eternal life, to live with him in heaven forever. God, thank you for your word. It's in your son's holy and precious name we give praise. Amen.